You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible with you, if you will make your way to the letter of Galatians. Today we're going to be in chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 6 together. If you're a guest with us this morning, first of all, let me just say how glad we are that you are here with us. What we do here as a church on Sunday mornings as we open up God's Word is we Usually, our practice is to go through a book of the Bible, and we have been in the letter of Galatians and making our way through it, and today we're in chapter 5, and we are picking up where we left off, verses 2 through 6. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can pick one up at that back table back there, or if you want to pull one up on your phone, we preach from the English Standard Version, but I invite you to have your Bible open and to read along. Church, just listen now as we hear God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision uh, circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith working. Through love. Warning signs can change lives or can save lives if we heed the warnings. Warning signs are important, but they only are important and helpful and can potentially save lives if we pay attention to the warning. There are some warning signs. We should never ignore no matter what. For example, no matter what time of day, no matter what season of the year it is, when you see a do not enter sign on a highway, you should not ignore that. Okay, that's just one of those signs you shouldn't say, well, you know what, I don't see anybody coming. Let me just take this road anyways. Most likely, you are, well, you are going to be going in the wrong direction and you run the risk of having a head-on Collision. So that's one of those signs you should never ignore. Here's another one. I don't know if you've ever been driving up in the mountains. Or you've had one of those experiences where you're driving and you look down and you see the, you see way far down there and you're coming around a curve and you see a big yellow sign that says slow down cliff ahead. Okay. That's not the time to say, eh, I'm probably not going to worry about that. It's not the time to accelerate. That is the time to do what the sign says. Slow down or you have the potential of going over the cliff. Those are not signs we should ignore. 
There are other warning signs, though, that though we should never just completely ignore them, depending on the circumstance, we, we may not need to heed the warning. For example, right now, I doubt any of us are paying to attention to warning signs that say, watch for ice on bridge. I doubt anybody this morning as you were driving here, it's a, billions, it's a billion degrees outside. It feels like we live on the surface of the sun. I doubt you were paying attention to every, every bridge you went over to see if there was ice on the bridge. See, there are certain warning signs we should pay attention to depending on the season, depending on the time. And that, yet, there are times when we should heed warnings on a sign, and yet we ignore them. For example, and this is a relevant one here, maybe not right now because we're in a drought, but if you've lived here very long, you know we can go from drought to flooding. And many people drown every year because they try to drive their water, their, their vehicles through high water crossings, and they don't pay attention to the sign because they go down that that street every day and they don't pay attention to the sign that says if the water looks high turn around and do not drown yet every year people ignore those signs and they do not listen and they perish see warning signs can save lives if we heed the warning Church, think of Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 6 as a big yellow warning sign. It was a warning sign that was posted for the professing Christians in Galatia to read. Inspired by the Spirit of God, God called the Apostle Paul to post a big warning sign for the Galatians, calling them to be aware of the danger of falling away from grace. And church, this passage before us this morning continues to be a warning sign we must not ignore. We must heed for our own spiritual good. We must see this passage as a warning sign making us aware of the danger of falling away from grace. Now, you may be thinking at this point, Josh, are you implying that those who are truly born again and have been united with Christ can fall away and lose their salvation? The answer is no, they cannot. Well, then why would we need to heed the warning of falling away from grace? If you say Christians can't fall away and lose their salvation, why would they need to be warned of falling away? Why would we, we need to heed warning passages? Aren't warning passages for those who aren't saved, but maybe think they are, or for some other group of people? And the answer to that question really gets at the theme of this entire passage this morning. And this single sentence is going to be up on the screen this morning. Warnings in Scripture are meant to keep the children of promise from wandering away from grace. God gives us warnings in Scripture 
And those warning signs are meant to serve. They're a means God uses. You say, yeah, but, but if we can't fall away, then why would we need them? How do you think God keeps us from falling away? He posts warning signs that say, don't go here. Be aware of that. Don't go there. You must be aware of this. I don't know if you remember the illustration that I shared early on as we began our study of Galatians. I shared this illustration that if we could see salvation in Christ like a, a road, and on both sides of the road there are ditches. Do you remember that? There's a ditch on this side, and there's a ditch on this side. One ditch is that of legalism. And that has been a major concern that Paul's been addressing in this letter. But there's a ditch on the other side that looks like the opposite, but it's motivated by the same thing, and it's the ditch of license. And though Paul hasn't addressed it yet in this letter, 5 and 6 will be about license. So those are the two dangers, legalism and license. So if that's the picture that was painted early on, do you see it in your mind? Now look at that road again with ditches on both sides and imagine large yellow warning signs scattered along the road, put there for us to pay attention to. You see, it's important that we realize that God the Father has given His children both promises and warnings to secure them and to keep them safe. We've talked about what it means to be a child of promise and that God gives us promises but we must not think, as children of promise, we don't need warnings. No, both are essential and both are a gift from God. God gives us promises and He gives us warnings. And the purpose of both is to secure us and to keep us safe. So what must we do? We must hold on to the promises and we must heed the warnings. And the way in which we do that is the focus of the message today. How do we hold on to the promises and yet not neglect the warnings that were given? That's what Galatians 5 verses 2 through 6 is going to teach us. This passage can be broken up into two sections that really can be put in the following outline. One word describes each section. Verses 2 through 4 the word perseverance. Verses 5 through 6, the word preservation. Now, though those words are similar, they are not identical, and we must be aware how important both of those words are. We must understand perseverance, and we must understand preservation. And Paul is going to deal with both of these truths here in Galatians chapter 5, verses 2. Through six. So let's begin by looking at perseverance and look again at verses two through four. But before we look at these verses again, let me go back to verse one. Last or two weeks ago, when we were in Galatians, we ended with this statement that really is a transitional passage. It was the ending of verses 21 through chapter five, verse one, but it also transitions us into this week. Paul wrote, For freedom. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke 
of slavery. So Paul tells these believers at the end of this passage, here is why Christ died. He, he died to set you free. You must live in the good of that. Do not submit to anything. Do not stand for anything that, that would bring you back into the slavery Christ has delivered you from. And now in verses 2-4, through four, He's going to put His finger on one of these very issues they've been tempted to go back to that if anything, it removes their freedom and puts them back in slavery. That's what we see in verses 2-4. through four. Let me read it again. Look, I... Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now pay attention to this. This is the first time in the letter we actually hear about circumcision being one of the main points of division in this church. We, we, we've hinted at, it was hinted at in chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, but this is the first time Paul has actually addressed this topic and we see one of the issues that was at play in the church in Galatia. If you recall what's happening at this time in which Paul is writing, he had gone there, he had shared the gospel, and, and according to what we see Paul say, many of these folks who heard him preach the gospel professed faith in Christ, but in less than a year's time, they began to hear false teachers who weren't necessarily denying that they need Jesus, but they said, you need Jesus, and if you want to be a child of Abraham, a child of promise, you must be justified with Christ and the law. And one of the greatest ways that you demonstrate that you're a law keeper is through circumcision. So they were demanding that if people were not circumcised, that they could not be justified. And Paul takes this subject head on in verses 2 through 6, and he's actually going to come back to it again in, in chapter, uh, in verses 7 through 12. And here in verses 2 through 6, Paul calls on those who profess faith in Christ, but are tempted to believe in another gospel. He tells them to make a choice. This is that time, if you notice the language of verse 2, he, he says, Look. I, Paul, say to you, he, he's basically, he's, he said all the things he needed to, to say at the beginning of the letter. Now he's saying this is the moment of decision. Look, choose Christ, choose circumcision. Comes down to that. You've got to choose one, you've got to choose the other. No more vacillating. We're not going to have debates about it anymore. We're not having conversation about it anymore. This is the moment of decision. Choose this or choose that. That's what we see in verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now that raises this question. Why is Paul so worked up about this topic? I mean, after all, circumcision was something God required of His people under the Old Covenant. And not only that, in Acts 16, verse 3, if you recall... Paul, when, when he brought on his new ministry partner, Timothy, 
Timothy's mom was a Jew, but his dad was a Gentile. He had never been circumcised. He says, hey, before we go, it would probably serve everybody if you were circumcised. Then Paul, what in the world are you making such a big deal about this? Is Paul majoring on a minor topic? Is he making much of something that shouldn't divide the church? Is Paul forgetting the three circles? There's core doctrines, there's secondary doctrines, and there's things that Christians disagree on that are issues of opinion and and conscience. Is is Paul forgetting what circles he's in? Paul, you seem to be making circumcision a, a core doctrine here. What in the world are you doing? Why is Paul doing this? Well, the late pastor and commentator John Stott explained it well. He wrote, You might think this is a trivial matter. After all, Circumcision is only a minor surgical operation on the body. Why did Paul make so much of a fuss and bother about it? Because of its doctrinal implications. As the false teachers were pressing it, circumcision was neither a physical operation nor a ceremonial rite, but a theological symbol. It stood for a particular religion, namely Salvation by good works in obedience to the law. So now can you see why Paul is so worked up about it? Paul is not concerned with the act itself. Paul is concerned with what that act represents in the church in Galatia. It is the symbol of a whole different religion. It is a different Gospel, salvation by good works in obedience to the law. And just know that this sort of teaching was not only a problem in Galatia, it was a problem in other regions in the early church. How do we know that? Because of what happened at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Commentators can't say for sure because we're not given timestamps when the letter of Galatians was written. Many believe, and I I would hold to this, that it's the first letter in the New Testament written very early on. And I believe it was written before Acts 15. It was written before the Jerusalem Council. So if we go back to see the Jerusalem Council, it can give us some insight onto what was happening, not just in places like Galatia, but beyond. And if you remember why this council was called, all of a sudden, as Jesus and the Gospel are being taught, There is confusion. Okay, so people believe in Jesus, but don't they have to keep the law too? Don't they have to do these things? And so the church met together in Jerusalem, all the apostles, the elders, the leaders, and they said, we've got to decide on this. So churches that are all claiming Christ aren't teaching different things. And people aren't being excluded from fellowship who are genuine believers. So what must we do? And they met. But listen to why they met. Acts 15 verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order for them to keep the law of Moses. So what was happening in the early church is people were saying, hey, all good that you believe in Jesus, but that can't be it. You, you still must do these things. And they were actually telling these believers, great, you put your faith in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised or you are not saved. 
That's why Paul says what he does in verse 3 of Galatians chapter 5. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. What does Paul mean by this when he tells the Galatians? If you accept what the false teachers are telling you and you go through with circumcision, what, what, what do you have to understand? Here's what you must understand. Though you profess Christ, though yet you practice circumcision in order to be justified by God, you, you realize those two are incompatible. To choose one automatically excludes the other. And if they chose circumcision, here's what Paul's saying. Here, here's where it gets to the nitty gritty. He says, if you choose circumcision, you are picking law keeping over grace. That's what you're doing. And you need to decide if that's what you want to do. Do you want Christ and grace? Or do you want the law? And that you are going to stand before God on the merits of what you've done. And Paul says this in verse 4. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. You see, the Galatians stand at a precipice. Or to use another analogy, they stand at a fork in the road. They must either go left, they must either go right, they must choose Christ, or they must choose salvation by law-keeping. And listen to what Paul says in verse 4. If they choose law-keeping, they've fallen away from grace. They have fallen away from grace. Now, verse 4 can be a little confusing upon first reading it because it appears to imply because of the vocabulary that the, that the Galatians have already been severed from Christ and that they've already fallen away from grace. Look, look at the language again. It makes it sound like you have been severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But Paul, I don't think, even though he's saying this in, in an emphatic way, is saying they have already. He's putting it before them to say, if you go any further, that is what's going to happen. And, and, and why do I believe that they haven't done that, but they stand at the precipice? Well, there's four reasons here in the text. The first one is the, 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 the word right here in the middle. You who would. They haven't yet, but if you, if you choose that, then you've made, I'm going, I'm going right. I'm not going left. You can't have it both ways. So if you choose that, that's the way you, you're going. But they obviously haven't made that choice yet because of verse 2. He says, if you accept circumcision. So he's appealing to them. He knows they're, they're about to go down that path. And he's saying, listen, you're standing right here at the fork in the road. If you choose that, know what's at stake. He's trying to tell them that so that they will not go that way. Look at verse 5. In verse 5, he says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. So he speaks about them in verse 5 as if he believes they're believers and treats them as believers. And in verse 3, 
He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you accept this, so do you see there are four reasons in, in, the, in the verses around us to show that though Paul seems to be saying they already have, what he's doing is saying you, you are standing right here at the fork. And what you decide will determine the direction of your salvation. So what is Paul implying here? What's Paul doing here? This is important. Listen, we've got to get this right or we can think Paul's saying something or Scripture is saying something that it's not. You see, those whom Paul was writing, they had professed faith in Christ in the past. And as far as we could tell, they're continuing to profess faith in Christ in the present. So when Paul was there, he preached the gospel. They said, yes, we believe in Jesus. We need a Savior. Jesus is our Savior. He heard them profess faith in Christ. And as far as we know, there's nothing in the letter that makes us think they've stopped professing Christ. So because of that, the Apostle Paul treats them as if they're true believers. However, if they choose the way of circumcision and law-keeping, then it will be clear they were never saved. So you see what Paul's doing here? He's not saying these are Christians who, who are losing their salvation. These are folks that all I've heard from them is, is they believe in Jesus. But now I'm hearing them say, yeah, but we, have, we, we believe in law keeping in order to be justified before God. And Paul's saying, if you, if you go down that road, then it's clear I cannot call you a believer anymore. Because you never were one. And I can't treat you as one. And that's how we're to interpret this passage. Paul's not implying that someone who is genuinely saved can fall away from grace. Instead, what this passage is teaching us is that those who keep looking to Christ until the end are those who are truly saved. See, we put so... Rightly so, we put an emphasis on the starting line of the Christian faith. But the Bible puts just as much weight on the finish line. We say, well, I'm saved because when I was eight at VBS, great, wonderful. But that can't be the sum of our salvation. When we started the finish line, who, who runs the race that way? Who runs away and says, hey, it doesn't matter if I get it to the end. I, I cross the, the starting line. No, the finish line has to be in view. And this idea that those who are saved by grace must persevere to the end is something that has been called doctrinally by throughout the church history, perseverance of the saints. I don't know if you've heard that term before, but it's an important term. I would encourage you to understand. And, and I want to help this morning using this passage to help us understand what is meant by perseverance of the saints. And I love in the sovereign grace statement of faith, which we hold to as a church and as a family of churches, under the section sanctification, perseverance, and glorification, we read these words. It should be up here on the screen. Believers must persevere in faith and obedience in order to be saved. Yet, this perseverance is also a gift of God in Christ who preserves His own and keeps them safe forever. 
Do you see both of those are at work? The first one, believers must persevere in faith and, 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 and obedience in order to be saved. Yet, this perseverance is also a gift of God in Christ who preserves His own and keeps them safe forever. So let's be clear on these two words. What is perseverance? Perseverance refers to what we are to do. Preservation refers to what God does for His children. And we need both of those. We cannot exclude or ignore either of those. Perseverance is necessary and preservation is necessary. You see, to be saved, we must persevere in faith and obedience. But that's only possible because of a gift of God in Christ who preserves His own and keeps them safe forever. That's how it works. We must, we must persevere. But the only way we can persevere is because God preserves us. So we're called to do something, but we're not doing it on our own. We're doing it because God is at work in us. So what does this practically look like then? Well, that brings us to verses 5 through 6, preservation. Look at verses 5 through 6 again. And notice this major shift takes place in verse 5. Why do I say a major shift? Because in verses 2 through 4, did you notice how many times you heard the word you, you, you? In verses 2 through 4, Paul is addressing the Galatians. But here in verse 5, he begins to use the word we. And he includes himself in that. He goes from talking about these Galatians to this is what all Christians do, including myself. He writes, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now I want to camp out for just a moment on the second part of this verse where, where he says that we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That's what we're called to do. Paul says that's what every Christian does. What does that mean? That we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Well, I believe that term, the hope of righteousness, is speaking about our longing for our final justification. That's what the word righteousness is speaking about. It's not the righteousness we have right now. It's that final justification. Though we, when we put our faith in Christ, we are declared righteous. Who here has stood before God yet? And heard him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. None of us. Until we die or till the day of judgment. Or Christ's return. And so, though we know we are justified if we put our faith in Christ, none of us have experienced that yet. And so he's saying that we should long for that moment of final justification. That's what perseverance is. Perseverance is us longing for that moment of final justification. It's living in light of the final day. And according to verse 5, this is how we persevere. Look, we wait. We wait. And how do we wait? By placing our faith in Christ alone. Did you notice the bookends of verses 5 and 6? For through the Spirit... By faith. How does verse end, 6 end? But only faith working through love. 
We persevere by waiting. And how do we wait? Through faith. We keep putting our faith in Christ. And in verse 6, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Do you, do you see what Paul's doing here? He's coming back to this topic he, he, had, he addressed in verses 2 through 4, and he's coming back to it to make this point. That those who have been circumcised must not have this attitude that because they've done that, they've gained any merit before God. He's not saying they shouldn't. He's just saying if you did great, if that's something in your conscience, if you believe that that's a good thing for you and your family, go for it. But if you think it's gained merit before God, you were dead wrong. But he doesn't end there. Because there's always that other group they say, yeah, we're not like that. We don't believe that. And now they're boasting in the fact, well, we haven't been circumcised. And Paul says, you don't get a gold star either. No one gets a gold star for, for being circumcised or for not being circumcised. Guess what matters at the end of the day? Your faith in Christ. That's all that matters. Faith in Christ is all that matters. And notice what Paul says at the end of verse five, 6. When we put our faith in Christ, notice what happens. It produces love. That's what it means when he says, but only faith working through love. That when we have faith, it creates something. It creates love. And according to the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6, Paul is using the word love here. Not just in some general way. He's using the word love, as you'll see throughout the rest of this letter. He's using it as a summary statement for obedience to God's commands. So if you put faith in Jesus, it will create love. And love is the word that describes all of what it means to be obedient to Christ and to God. Now, you may be thinking at this point, Josh, I don't I don't see preservation being mentioned in this passage. I see how every Christian is called to persevere by eagerly waiting for the hope of final justification. But where is this gift of preservation? The emphasis seems to be on what we are to do. But where is this preservation that's a gift? Look again at verse five. And look at the opening words. For through the Spirit, by faith. See, those who are in Christ, listen, we've already seen this all throughout the letter. Those who are in Christ have the Spirit of God at work in them. That's why he begins there. He doesn't say, Faith first and then the Spirit. They already have the Spirit because of their, they put their faith in Christ. And now they have the Spirit at work in them, creating, doing things, at work doing the things God has called them to do. So those who are in Christ have the Spirit of God at work in them and their faith is focused on something outside of them. Do you see this? So the Spirit is at work in them. And their faith they're called to have is not a faith they muster up. It's a faith that's outside of them. They're to look to Christ. Do you know what this means? 
Salvation isn't based on what you've done or failed to do. It's about what God has done and is still doing through the person and work of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. That is what salvation is about. It's not about what we've done to merit God's forgiveness. It's not about what we do to be holy enough. God has already made a way for both of those problems that we could never solve to to have resolution. God has justified us and God will sanctify us. And that's the point Paul's making here. He's already mentioned the Spirit a number of times through this letter. Let me just draw your attention to two two places. I'll give you a number of references if you want to go back in chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. He mentions the Spirit belonging to those who have put their faith in. In Christ, but in chapter 3, verse 14, he says this so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And at the end of chapter 4, in verse 29, Paul says, But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. And then he goes on in chapter 5. Guess what he's going to say in chapter 5? We're to walk according to the Spirit. And guess what the first fruit of the Spirit that he mentions? It's love. See, faith working through love. We have the Spirit of God at work in us. See, when we place our faith in Christ, we receive the Spirit of God. And the Spirit sustains our faith. And the Spirit sanctifies us over time, making us more like Christ. See, God preserves His children. By justifying them on the basis of Christ's perfect righteousness. And He preserves His children by giving them the Spirit of God to do for them what they could never do on their own. That's how God preserves His children. He says you have two major problems. Number one, you've done nothing to merit my a relationship with me. You only deserve judgment and wrath. And that got poured out on Jesus. And when we put our faith in Jesus, that problem is solved. But there's still another problem. We're justified not because of something we've done, but because what Christ done. We're still dirty, rotten sinners that need help. So what does He do? That's the second problem. He said, solved it. I've given you the Spirit. And He'll produce fruit that's opposite of the flesh. See, God will preserve His children. All we must do is keep trusting in Him to do what He has promised. And we must depend on Him to do what we cannot do on our own. That's what it means to wait. We must trust Him to do what He has promised, and we must depend on Him to do what we cannot do on our own. So here are some questions of application. that I want you to Take a moment and really examine Is this the way you think about your salvation? Are you currently eagerly waiting? Or are you passive about your faith? Listen. Don't confuse waiting with passivity. And don't confuse perseverance with the saints with once saved, always saved. Both of those ideas of once saved, always saved, and perseverance of the saints who are both getting at that believers are eternally secure. 
But once saved, always saved is based on passivity. Well, I said that prayer at VBS when I'm eight. At 48, I don't love Jesus and I live for the world. But I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. Because I said the prayer and once saved, always saved. That's not perseverance of the saints. Believing in eternal security for a Christian should make us passive, not active. Notice verse 7. You were running well. I, well. Paul, I thought you told us to wait. Are we waiting or are we running? And Paul's saying, if you don't understand that I'm using two different metaphors to say the same thing, your waiting isn't passive, it's active. It means something. You've got to do something. You just can't sit back and rest and say, hey, I said the prayer, once saved, always saved. No, you've got to persevere to the end. So are you eagerly waiting? Or are you passive? Here's another thing. At the same time that eagerly awaiting for the hope of righteousness is not passive, we also must not think that we are to attempt to add works and obedience alongside God's grace because that's what He requires. And if we fail to do that, we lose our salvation. Listen, so much of the evangelical air we breathe is both of those camps. Once saved, always saved. Just You said the prayer, you're good to go. You can never lose your salvation. Doesn't matter if you love Jesus anymore. Doesn't matter if you live for Jesus anymore. And then others that say, I, got, I put my faith in Jesus, but I could lose my salvation if I'm not good enough. Both of those are unbiblical. Both of those are not what Scripture says. Actually, this idea of I've got to keep working, I've got to do things, that's what the Galatians were doing. And both of them are fatal errors. So what do we do? What does this mean, Jocelyn? To persevere in our faith knowing that God preserves us. Well, I want to say it one time and then just take a moment in closing to, to explain what this means. It's actually simpler than we think, but it's, it's something I think we can all neglect. Here's what we do. In light of this entire letter, if you think about what we've heard so far, here's what we're to do. Here's what perseverance looks like. We continue to trust the heart of God the Father. We never stop looking to Christ to save us. And we live dependently on the Spirit of God to cause us to grow and to bear good fruit. Think about chapter 4. You are now children of God. People who fall away at some point stop trusting the heart of God as their father. He stops, he stops being a father and a taskmaster. They don't think He gives good gifts. They don't like His laws anymore. They're burdensome instead of a delight. So what must we do if we want to persevere? We understand the heart of our Father. And you know what else we must do? We must never stop looking to Christ to save us. Do you realize something right now? Christ is interceding for you and for me if we're true believers. Do you know what that means? If right now He stopped interceding, we would all be lost. So if your only understanding of salvation is, I put my faith in Jesus back here, today He's saving you. And if He wasn't doing His interceding work in heaven, you would be lost.
also today, you should wake up and say, my only hope is you, Christ. Not just back then when I said the prayer, but today, today I'm putting my only hope to be justified one day before you in Christ and what He's done, not just in the past, but today. Then do we live dependently upon the Spirit of God to do in us what we can never do for ourselves? Or do we realize, you know what? There are areas of sin in my life. There are patterns in which I am giving in to the flesh and bearing the fruit of the flesh. I just need to read my Bible more. I notice I just haven't been having my quiet times. That's the problem. I just need to get an accountability partner. Why don't you wake up and say, God, left to myself, I'm just going to produce the, the fruits of the flesh. I need your absolute help this very day. And everything that I do, every word that comes out of my mouth, every action, every attitude, if your spirit does not bear fruit, I can't. That's what it means to persevere. You never stop trusting the heart of God. You never stop looking to Christ to save you. And you never start thinking, oh, I got this. No, I need the Spirit of God. Or I will not make it. So here's the question. Have you ever done this? Have you ever put your faith? And have you ever put repented of your sins and put your full trust in what God has done for you in Christ? Not today is that day. God brought you here to hear the gospel that maybe, sadly, you haven't heard because maybe it's your own misunderstanding, but sadly in so much of the evangelical culture today, the gospel is a lot of things except for what the Bible says it ought to be. And here's the gospel. It's not about what you ought to do. The gospel is about what God has done for you. And all you have to do is say, I receive it. I accept it. You're not asking me to clean up my life. You're asking me to come with warts and all, with all my brokenness, with all my failure, with all my shame, and you'll change me. You'll forgive me. You'll make me new. If you've never done that, today is the day. But I have one last question. If you're here today, you have done that. You've put your faith in Christ. You've repented of your sin. What are you doing today? Are you resting on the past? Or today, are you still living in light of, oh, I've got a good father who's made me his child. And today I have a savior who, who didn't just die to save me. He's interceding right now to keep me his own. And the spirit of God is in me. And man, I need it. Whew, I need the spirit of God to help me do what I could never do on my own. I wonder how many of us walk through the doors today and we could tell our testimony of saying a prayer and walking an aisle and giving our hearts to Jesus and rightly being justified before God, but we don't live in that every day. We don't respond to that every day. Therefore, friends, listen. Warning signs can save lives. This is a warning sign. If you come here this morning and you say, I'm just... I'm just glad Jesus saved me whenever I was however old and you are not continuing to do these things. Listen, you are in danger of falling away from grace. 
These are things we must do. We don't do them to keep to keep from or to keep ourselves saved. We do them because as we do them, it's apparent. Oh, God is at work in me. God is doing this. God is reminding me of these truths. God is keeping me. So church, let us be a people who don't just read Galatians, hear these truths, take notes and think, okay, that's good. Got that, got that doctrinal point. But may it make us every day that we wake up and have breath say, I must respond to these truths. I must live in light of these truths. Because that's what it means to be a child of promise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I know that it's done its work. Your word never goes out and returns void. So I thank you for the good work you've done, even in a topic that for some maybe they've never heard of. For others, it's raised questions. Lord, I pray that your word has brought clarity. And Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning who have never put their faith in you. Lord, would you grant them the, the, the gift of faith? And would you open their eyes? And would you help them see what the gospel really is? Lord, would you cause them to respond? And Lord, for every person here that's one of your children, that you purchase, that you put your spirit in, Lord, I pray that none of us would sit back and just rest thinking we're waiting. And that we would be passive, that we would continue to trust the heart of our Father. We would continue to look to the Savior. And we would continue to be dependent upon the Spirit until that day when we get to experience the hope of righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.